I'd like to call to order the regular formal meeting, sorry, the July 17, 2018 regular formal meeting of the Iowa City City Council. Item one, roll call, please. Botchway? Here. Cole? Here. Mims? Here. Sela? Taylor? Here. Thomas? Here. Rob Martin? Here. Uh, we were just trying to contact Mazahir Saleh, who's in Sudan right now, and we thought we'd be able to connect with her, but that's not proven <coughs> possible. All right, item two, proclamations. So I have two proclamations to read tonight. One has to do with ADA Awareness Day. So, whereas the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, was passed on July 26, 1990, to ensure the civil rights of individuals with disabilities, and whereas Iowa City, Iowa, can, affirms the principles of equality and inclusion for persons with disabilities as set forth for the state of Iowa and embodied in the ADA, the laws of the state of Iowa and ordinances of Iowa City, and whereas numerous organizations in Iowa City work with constituents and communities to bring forth the promise of hope and freedom that is envisioned by the ADA, and whereas the 2010 U.S. Census reported that nearly one in five Americans had a disability, and whereas the ADA benefits all Americans, <clears throat> as nearly everyone will live with a disability at some point in their lives, and whereas on July 21, 2018, an event celebrating the 28th anniversary of the passage of the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, Promise and Progress, will be held at the Iowa City Ped Mall from 10 a.m. to noon. Now therefore I, James A. Throgmorton, Mayor of Iowa City, hereby proclaim July 21, 2018 as Americans with Disabilities Act Awareness Day and urge community members to participate in activities that celebrate and honor the spirit of the act. Is there anyone here to accept this proclamation? Simon. Uh, thank you very much, Mayor, Council. Uh, we very much appreciate uh, this proclamation and uh, Council's commitment uh, to inclusivity and accessibility over the years and providing um, the community with the resources to, to meet those goals. Uh, quick plug for the uh, event that Jim mentioned um, this weekend, uh, Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon on the Ped Mall uh, in the downtown district's pop-up shop closest to the library. Uh, so in between the library and the playground there, uh, we will have our annual celebration event. Uh, the Mayor uh, has kindly agreed to uh, join us and read the proclamation that he just read at the event. Uh, we will also have Senator Merkley from Oregon as a keynote speaker and a couple of award recipients, uh, Dave Lesh from uh, Dave Lobsack's office and Alyssa Voss from uh, ARC of Southeastern Iowa um, will uh, both be receiving awards for their years of service uh, on accessibility issues in the community. Um, and we hope that you all can join us this weekend. So thank you very much. Thank you, Simon. Okay, the second proclamation is declaring Iowa City's Strawless Initiative Day. And I'm especially pleased to be able to read this proclamation because it involves the preschoolers from Prusel Preschool who are sitting down here to our left. So, here we go. Whereas 
One time, Lena, a preschooler, saw a grown-up throw garbage on the ground and kick it close to the Iowa River. And whereas the Iowa City River leads to the ocean, and whereas the storm drains lead to the mother ocean, and whereas the plastic straws are getting into the ocean and baby turtles are eating them and getting sick, and whereas birds who can't find food are feeding their babies plastic straws because they can't tell what it is and think it's food, and whereas sometimes the fish are eating plastic straws in ponds and lakes, and whereas we want baby turtles and other animals to be happy, and whereas plastic straws are bad for the earth, and whereas children at Prusel Preschool have started an effort to encourage restaurants not to give out plastic straws unless customers ask for them. Now, therefore, I, James A. Throgmorton, Mayor of Iowa City, hereby proclaim July 17, 2018, as Iowa City Strawless Initiative Day and encourage people to say no thank you to plastic straws, learn more about the Iowa City Strawless Initiative, and make good things happen for our Earth. Is there anyone here to accept the proclamation? So now you can go back to the podium. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mayor Throgmorton and members of the Iowa City City Council. My name is Trisha Winchell. I have a few Prusel preschoolers here with me. This is Violet and Lena and Bridget and Lucas and Isla, and a, uh, an alumni and brother, Lewis. Um, and they are working very hard with their friends on the Strawless Initiative, and they have found adults like yourselves to help and support them with that. So we thank you very much for that. Um, they, through a project last spring, learned that plastic is hurting our earth and our animals, and so they are working to um, encourage people to reduce the amount of single-use plastics they're using, especially straws, and they're working to keep the earth happy and healthy. Um, so they are asking people to be thoughtful about their use and, and not use as much plastic, and they are hoping that restaurants will help people make that choice by not offering um, straws unless people want them or need them. We have about 10 restaurants on board so far participating, and we have a couple more that are in the process. So we're really happy about that. We're going to be having a party at Big Grove to celebrate our efforts. Big Grove was one of the first restaurants to participate in the initiative. We invite you all and would love to see you there. It's this Thursday at 5.30. Um, but mostly, I would like to thank our community for listening. <laughs> I would like to thank our community for listening to the powerful voices of its youngest and maybe silliest citizens that we have. <laughs> and they would all have something that they would like to say. What do you guys want to say? Thank you for listening to this and to us plastic us. Thank you very much.
I'd like to say that on our refrigerator at home, I have a drawing of a turtle that one of you made, I don't know who, mm -hmm. and it's really a special thing for our household. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, everybody's leaving. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, item three, consider adoption of the consent calendar as presented or amended. So moved. Second. Moved by Mem, seconded by Botchway. Discussion? Would anybody like to address this topic? This is a good time if anybody from PATV would like to say something. Honorable Mayor, City Council, City Staff. My name is Gerardo Sandoval and I am Executive Director of Public Access Television, PATV. Um, as our mission states, PATV is a resource dedicated to diversity and community communication. PATV provides opportunities for local citizens to make use of current technology, to exchange information and ideas, and to participate in the democratic process. PATV promotes media literacy through training and media production and critical viewing. The public access program on cable channel 18 exemplifies the diverse viewpoints, interests, and backgrounds of Iowa City residents. PATV is a community tool for our communal voice. I invite you to come visit, come produce videos, and have your voice heard. PATV Public Access Television is your neighborhood network. I want to thank you all for agreeing to let us continue this service that is very vital. And like I said in our mission, you know, it's a communal voice and it's access to the democratic process, freedom of expression, freedom of speech, and if anything, art artistic presentation of our city. Thank you, Iowa City. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to see you again. Likely. Yeah. Anyone else? Seeing no one else, roll call, please. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Botchway? Yes. Motion carries six to zero. Item four, community comment. Anybody who would like to address any topic that is not on our formal meeting agenda should feel free to come up now. Please don't take, please come up, state your name, and take not more than five minutes. All right, I'm not seeing anyone. We'll move on to item five, planning and zoning matters. Item 5A, rezoning Lower West Branch Road and Taft Avenue. This is an ordinance conditionally rezoning approximately 8.02 acres of property located at the southwest corner of Lower West Branch Road and Taft Avenue from interim development single family residential, IDRS zone, to medium density single family, RS8 zone, and low density multifamily, RM12 zone. This is first consideration. I'm gonna open the public hearing. Good evening, Danielle. Good evening, Mayor and Council. 
I thought I was ready to go until I got a little choked up there during your special presentation, so <laughs> pardon the groggy voice. I'm going to start this evening with an overview of the site. Um, the application is for a subject property located in what was part of the Lindemann Farm and was purchased earlier this spring by the applicant, Alan Holmes. It's surrounded by Taft Avenue, Lower West Branch Road, Ralston Creek, and Stonebridge Estates, a residential subdivision and a single-family home in unincorporated Johnson County. Areas to the north and east of the project uh, site are also located in the county and are undeveloped. The subject property was annexed into the city in 2000 and at the time was conditionally rezoned to interim development, single family, while awaiting for the availability of city water and sanitary sewer services. The conditional zoning agreement from 2000 requires compliance with the Northeast District Plan and specifically references an interconnected trail, sidewalk, and street system, preserving stream corridors and ensuring neighborhood access to open space. At this time, the applicant proposes to extend the necessary utilities to the site or pay the applicable fees to do so for residential development and is requesting a rezoning. Um, <clears throat> of the eight-acre site, approximately five acres would be for medium-density single-family residential, RS8, shown in the uh, outlined area, and three acres of low-density multifamily residential, RM12, showed, shown in the hashed area. A couple of photos of the site for you um, taken earlier this spring. This is looking west from Taft Avenue back towards the Ralston Creek tree line across the site. This is uh, from Lower West Branch Road looking to the south. Um, beyond that tree line is the single family home, home that's in the county. And this is as if you were standing in the intersection, which I hope our intern was not when they took this picture, <laughs> um, back across the site kind of towards the southwest to the adjacent single family uh, residential development. Um, the future land use map of the comprehensive plan uh, does identify this area as appropriate for residential uh, density of two to eight dwelling units per acre. In addition, the Northeast District Plan also identifies it as appropriate for single family residential development, but does encourage housing diversity by promoting townhome or small multifamily buildings at major intersections. Uh, Lower West Branch Road has already been improved by the city to collector street standards with curbs and sidewalks, and Taft Avenue is identified as a future art arterial street. Um, this is the concept plan that the applicant showed. Um, it includes 32 dwelling units um, arranged as 11 single-family uh, lots in, in a <clears throat> along the south and west side. <clears throat> and 21 multifamily townhomes uh, adjacent to the corner. Uh, the density and general layout are consistent with the comprehensive plan. However, as a preliminary plat is not required to be filed with this rezoning, um, staff did recommend and the Planning Commission upheld a condition that the rezoning uh, require general conformance with the number and types of units identified in this concept plan to ensure the compatibility with existing neighborhood and development patterns. Oops, sorry. Seem to have lost some slides. I'll just work off memory here. There's uh, several conditions that were approved by the Planning Commission. I can put them up here so you can follow along. And they have to do with, uh, like I said, the first condition for um, the concept plan to be uh, uh, maintained through the subdivision process. In addition, there are two conditions regard to the future, uh, regarding the future design and operation of Taft Avenue. Uh, first is the dedication of approximately 12 feet of right-of-way along the west side of Taft Avenue. Um, as it, At the time of planning, um, that will be necessary for the eventual design improvements, so the lanes, the curbs, the gutters, the sidewalks, et cetera, to be made. <coughs> Second is Taft Avenue will provide an important connection to the city's industrial area from I-80. Um, submission of a detailed landscaping plan is recommended to ensure adequate buffering from tra tra truck traffic along this route. 
This would be in addition to the 40-foot setback required along arterials that are uh, required in the proposed districts anyway. As I said, both of these um, conditions can be accomplished at the time of planning. Um, as mentioned, the Northeast plan uh, in the previous zoning agreement does, uh, and the comp plan, both do promote uh, inter an interconnected transportation system. The final two recommendations help facilitate the implementation of that goal. First, the creation of an outlet along Ralston Creek. Let me go back to the uh, concept plan so you can see that. Uh, will allow for a trail connection identified in the bicycle master plan and connection to the public park and the adjacent subdivision. Second, the provision of roadway access to a large single-family property to the south will allow for a connection to existing streets further south from it should it redevelop. And so that's the large parcel just to the south. You can see a street. Um, connection shown there, that would align with a street that's already in existence further to the south. Again, these two conditions can be uh, accomplished at planning. In addition, there is a trail connection anticipated between lots five and six, uh, where a sewer easement would be needed. That um, trail connection would connect to that trail in the uh, outlaw parcel and would also help to satisfy the applicant's requirement for open space dedication at the time of subdivision. So I'll leave, with the, leave you with the Planning Commission's recommendation from their June 7th meeting, which was uh, after they reviewed the application, they unanimously recommended approval subject to the five staff proposed conditions. I'd be happy to answer questions. Any questions for Danielle? I think I'm hearing silence. <laughs> Thank you, Danielle. Danielle. Uh, would anybody else like to address this topic? Hi, John. Good evening, Mayor and members of council. Uh, John Yap with Alan Holmes. Uh, just a couple things to add. Um, we did have a neighborhood meeting, and one of the concerns at the neighborhood meeting was that we rezone this and then propose something radically different. And so the, the condition about general conformance with the types of units in the concept plan, I think, is totally appropriate. Uh, we agree with all the other recommended conditions uh, as well. The only other thing I wanted to point out is these little, oh, I can't find the mouse. Well, there's the little rectangles at the south end of the trail. Oh, here we go, right here. Uh, that is an old uh, stone, stone bridge abutments. Where are you at, John? Yeah, where are I'm you? not um, quite seeing where. Right at. there. Sorry. I'm still not seeing it. I'm not either, I'm sorry. Well, there's a, do you have a photo of that, Danielle? It's not in this presentation. Okay. Are you down in the outlot or are you? Right, is the, oh, the mouse isn't showing up on the, mm -hmm. on the overhead. Huh. Uh, I'm at the south end of the uh, trail, the north-south trail. And I'm not actually actually sure where the trail is, I'm sorry. Uh, the trail's on the west side of the uh, subdivision. Okay, so kind of the green. So at, right to the south of the trail, you'll see three rectangles. Oh. <laughs> no. Does someone sorry, have a pointer? Right <laughs> uh, okay, we're angles to the southeast. <clears throat> uh, if you look at lot six, oh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Okay. You can pass it yep. along. It's right the, here. Right there. Ah, okay. So, right about there. It's right off the, the viewing end audience. Of lot six. Right. Oh, okay. Uh, but outside the property. Oh, you right. don't have a laser pointer. That's right. Oh, okay. 
Finger pointer. Well, this is embarrassing. No, just uh, it's no. just southwest of yeah. Lot Six. Yes. Okay. There are stone bridge abutments that have always been intended to be used as as the abutments for a future trail bridge uh, over over Ralston Creek. Um, these bridge abutments have been there for over a hundred years. They were there for the uh, when the Rock Island Railroad uh, came through this area. Uh, and so we did design our, our trail uh, within our subdivision to be able to be extended over that stone bridge uh, and, and ultimately to the south uh, into that outlot B to the south. So just a little bit of history uh, from my own past planning. Uh, any questions for me? Fantastic. I, I just like to observe, I, I thought I knew a lot about Ralston Creek, but I had no idea. This is the middle fork, I suppose, but anyhow. Mm -hmm. uh, or I think it's... South Fork? I think it's the East Fork. Well, I, I've always thought about it as North, Middle, and South, but any, okay. anyhow, I, I had no idea part of Ralston Creek went up through here. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Okay. Okay, thank Any you. questions for John? All right. Thanks, John. Anyone else? All right, not seeing anyone else, uh, I want to ask you, council members, whether you are inclined to vote in accordance with the commission's recommendation. Yes. I'm seeing a lot of nodding heads. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. So uh, I'm going to close the public hearing. Could I have a motion, please, for first consideration? So moved. Second. Moved by Mem, seconded by Botchway. Discussion. Glad to see the variety of housing combination of multi and single family. Yeah, I'd also just want to express my appreciation of the good neighbor meeting. I think those are always useful in terms of, you know, addressing any concerns that the neighbors may have. And uh, it's just, a, it's a good, it's always, I think, a good aspect of our planning process when it happens. Great. Anyone else? All right, hearing nothing else, roll call, please. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Botchway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Motion carries six to zero. Item 5B, Comprehensive Plan Amendment, Affordable Housing Annexation Policy. This is a resolution amending the Comprehensive Plan Annexation Policy to add a section pertaining to affordable housing. Could I have a motion, please? So moved. Moved by Botchway, Second. seconded by Mims. Discussion. So, Tracy, good evening, Tracy. Hello. Um, as you recall, at your last meeting on July 3rd, you guys deferred the annexation policy. This is a policy for residential development annexed into the city with 10 or more residential units with the goal of providing 10% affordable through a various ways. There was a sentence in the original draft that the mayor had suggested um, altering, and that went to the Housing and Community Development Commission at their last meeting. Um, so I have... The sentence is bold is the sentence that um, we're looking at. So the suggested language, we would change that, whoa, we would change that sentence to either um, the mayor of the language and then HCDC recommended a slightly different version of that sentence. So in theirs, they, it was in determining the most desirable option, preference shall be weighted toward options that support economic, educational, and community building opportunities for all residents and help achieve better socioeconomic balance among Iowa City neighborhoods and among schools in the Iowa City Community Dis School District. So that was their input. So the, 
The words that they are recommending adding to what I had proposed are the words support economic, educational, and community building opportunities for all residents and, right, I think those are the words, just inserting them yep. in the middle. Uh, can you comment on what they mean by that? I mean, I don't have any opposition to it personally, but... I, I, um, at first, HCDC, when we're looking at the, they, they supported um, your, your suggestion, and then Charlie Eastham, who's in the office, suggested um, adding that. There wasn't a lot of conversation about what exactly those words meant. Um, I think HCDC supported both, but... Um, that is the language that was supported by a commission member, and so they voted to approve that. Okay, I understand. So maybe it would be good for me, Charlie, if you could come up and on behalf of the commission indicate what you meant by that, what you mean by that. Thank you, Mr. Mayor and Council. Charlie Easton. 953 Canton Street in Iowa City. Uh, I'm not going to be so bold as to speak on behalf of the commission, just to give you my my views. Uh, I wanted to, I, to me it was important to have language in this uh, provision that uh, uh, notes that all residents benefit by uh, 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 having opportunities to live in all parts of the community and uh, achieving socioeconomic balances, uh, a balance is a uh, tool that the city has for providing opportunities for all residents. Um, th there was a previous uh, version that had the word burden in it, it burdensome, and I thought that was not a, that, that, that perhaps could be improved upon. Okay, Jeff, uh, do you see any complications associated with the insertion of this particular language into what I recommended? My, my personal opinion is the, the language from the mayor that you suggested last time is, is more clear. Mm -hmm. I know exactly what that means. Um, I, I don't know exactly what economic, educational, and community building opportunities are. It's a little vague, but it, it works. I mean, comp plan language is in, by its nature vague, so I don't have a strong opinion, but I think there's more clarity in your suggested language. I, I would agree. I, I think when we have to have somebody come up and explain to us what the language means, mm -hmm. then as we go forward and people are trying to make decisions and interpret this, how do they know what it's supposed to mean if we even had to ask for an explanation? So I think going with the more concise language that you proposed, Jim, and I do like the change that, you know, you were the one that said, hey, let's get out the negative aspect of burdensome. Let's take it a more positive approach with the language. I think that's very good. Um, but I think it is more concise and more clear about the intent. What do the rest of you think? I, I do like the community building opportunities piece of um, HCDC's recommendation. Um, Socioeconomic is a little bit dry to me. I mean, it, you know, I understand it, and I, I, uh, you know, if I hadn't been presented with an alternative, I would, you know, I, I, I don't really object to your language, Jim, but. But what is, I guess my question, John, help me understand, if you're looking at different options with inclusionary housing, of fee in lieu of versus on-site, et cetera, how do you use those words, community building opportunities, 
as you're trying to decide which is the best route to go in that particular instance. And this is Th that's specifically, what I just don't understand. Yeah, this is specifically relevant to the staff and making its judgment about whether to recommend fee in lieu of and that kind of thing, right? Right. Well, isn't this plan directly targeted to affordable housing and getting balanced throughout the community? And so, although I don't think any of us are against providing economic, educational, and community building opportunities, wouldn't that be a separate policy discussion? I mean, so I guess I would support the mayor's language. Anyone else have comment? I, 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 well, go, ahead. go ahead. I would support the suggested language from you. I would also, because I think the original intent was to balance, to help working with the school district to balance the proportion, disproportionate. Okay, I, I would too. Uh, so I, I think we have clarity about that. But now we need, well, how should we proceed on this? Just make a motion to amend uh, to substitute the language suggested by the mayor. So moved. Second. Moved by Botchway, seconded by Cole. Uh, roll call, please. All in favor all in, for the all motion. In favor, all in favor, please. Aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Now we need uh, a motion to approve the amended version of the uh, of the policy. So moved. Yeah. I, I think that's already, already on the floor, floor actually. Oh, is that, all right. So, Got so that we need to so just roll call. Just roll call on that. Okay, so roll call, please. This is about the amended, approving the amended version. Um, Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Bachway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Nims? Yes. Motion carries six to zero. Thank you. Item six, wastewater treatment facility influent channel modifications. This is a resolution approving plan specifications, form of agreement, an estimate of cost for the construction of the wastewater treatment facility influent channel modifications project, Establishing amount of bid security to accompany each bid, directing city clerk to post notice to bidders, and fixing time and place for receipt of bids. I'll open the public hearing. I wonder if a staff member could briefly explain Influent channel modifications. Oh, come on, Jim. You're not an expert on this? Well, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> you want me to take None a stab at it? <laughs> you want to try? No. Nice um, good evening, Jason Hovel, city engineer. Um, I, I guess to try and simplify it a little bit, essentially the, the influent channel is a trough that has uh, liquid running through it, obviously, um, and it was built for full capacity of the wastewater treatment plant. And with that, it's wide enough that with what we currently have for um, the, the volume that we're treating, it allows for sediment to basically be uh, left on the outside of the channel. So what this will do is essentially help to direct flow to the center of the channel and cut down on sediment deposits in the channel, um, therefore reducing maintenance and, and those types of things. So right. hopefully that simplifies it a little Sounds bit. Sounds like yes. a great thing to me. <laughs> it's a good project. <laughs> Makes sense now. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Anyone else want to address this topic? Seeing no one, I'm gonna close the public hearing. Move the resolution. Second. Moved by Mims, seconded by Botchway. Discussion. I'm all for modifying influent channels. <laughs> <laughs> I'm opposed, no. <laughs> Anything for cleaner water. I think it's, yeah. All right, I think all we've discussed, opposed. yeah, we've <laughs> discussed this enough. Roll call, please. Uh, Taylor. Yes. Thomas. Yes. Frogmorton. Yes. Botchway. Yes. Cole. Yes. Uh, Mims. Yes. Motion carries six to zero. 
Item seven, housing code. This is an ordinance amending Title 17 entitled Building and Housing, Section 5 entitled Housing Code to add the requirements for deadbolt locks and duplex separation requirements to Section 19 entitled Responsibilities of Owners Relating to the Maintenance and Occupancy of Premises. Staff has requested expedited action. I move that the rule requiring the ordinances must be considered and voted on for passage at two council meetings prior to the meeting at which it is to be finally passed be suspended, that the second consideration and vote be waived, and that the ordinance be voted on for final passage at this time. Second. Moved by Mem, seconded by Taylor. Discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Batchway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Motion carries six to zero. Move final adoption at this time. Second. Moved by Mem, seconded by Botchway. Discussion? I'd like to thank the students who, are they originally brought this up uh, to our attention that deadbolts are needed in a lot of the uh, rentals. So uh, I appreciate that, and this is a good move. Yeah. Let's not make sure we don't give any credit to Ben. I've got to say, this should I be the <laughs> Ben's rule here. Particularly Ben. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No further discussion. Roll call, please. Rob Morton? Yes. Hatchway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Motion carries 6 to 0. Item 8, adopt code of ordinances, a.k.a. city code. This is an ordinance to adopt the Code of Ordinances of the City of Iowa City, Iowa 2018, a.k.a. City Code, second consideration, but staff requests expedited action. I move that the rule requiring the ordinances must be considered and voted on for passage <coughs> to council meetings prior to the meeting at which it is to be finally passed be suspended, that the second consideration and vote be waived, and that the ordinance be voted on for final passage at this time. Second. Moved by Mem, seconded by Taylor. Discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Batchway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throckmorton? Yes. Motion carries 6 to 0. Move final adoption. Second. second. Moved by Mims, second by Thomas. Discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throckmorton? Yes. Batchway? Yes. Motion carries 6 to 0. Item 9, Riverfront Crossings Affordable Housing Requirement, Fee in Lieu. This is a resolution establishing the fee an owner may opt to pay in lieu of providing affordable housing in the Riverfront Crossings District and rescinding resolution number 16-216. Could I have a motion to approve, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Botchway, seconded by Mems. Discussion. Tracy? Um, riverfront crossings, as you remember, if you're in the riverfront crossings and you and you go to that new zone, you rezone it to riverfront crossing, you're allowed a denser development. And part of that denser development, we require affordable housing requirements. So 10% of those housing units have to be affordable. Developers at that time, before they issue a building permit, can choose whether to do on-site affordable housing or they can choose a fee in lieu of. And that fee in lieu of, we worked with the National Development Council back in 2016 to set those well, just set a fee. So if you take advantage of the fee in lieu of you pay that and that you meet your requirement that way, and then those funds have to be used within the Riverfront Crossings area. Um, the methodology of, the, of it is basically it compares the value of a fully market rate development with the value of a development subject to the 10% affordable requirement. It uses data that's available in our market. It is, and we use the maximum rent set by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. 
to date, we've had five housing projects that were impacted by inclusion uh, by the affordable housing requirement. Out of those 27 units, 17 were built on site. They will be developed. Not all of them have been built yet. 10 units paid the fee in lieu of, which was, I think at the time, 80,000 um, and some some amount. So we've received 808,720 received to date based on two applications. So. The majority of developments are choosing to put them on site. We did this methodology because it was it was it was clear and it was predictable. So a developer, before they get a building permit, they know in advance what that fee is going to be. Um, we went through a process, and I should have brought a pointer, but the process is similar methodology as we used in 2016. It uses that cap rate, vacancy rate, expense ratios for a. Thank you. All right. Just point it up that way. On the yeah, side. That. <laughs> oh, the Boom. There you go. All right. Um, so we worked with Cook Appraisals um, to find out, you know, they do a, a, that survey every other year. So in conversations that National Development Council had with them, they use an expense ratio of 40%, 45% for affordable units, knowing that you have to market the units, you have to income certify the tenants, there's, there's extra things you have to do for the affordable housing units. It looked at the unit distribution based on the Pentacrest mile, which is at zone one. Um, and what they're looking at is if you see a 40 total unit building and its market rate, you see the income approach to value. Um, they're taking that net operating income divided by the, the cap rate to come up with that value to that building. Then they're doing the same methodology, but for 10% affordable. So you have your market rate units, and then you have the requirement of that 10% affordable. When you look at that, then you have a, a development that's worth approximately 3.8 million. If you go over to the value differential, you're taking that market rate minus that 10%, then you're dividing by that the four units that are required. And so when you use this methodology, the per unit is at 94,652. It's the same methodology we used in 2016, but updated regarding the two what's what's happened in the market over two years. There is one slight difference that, that we use this year as opposed to in 2016. Um, back in two th 2016, we took the home fair market rents and we took out the utility allowance. In practice, when we do those affordable housing agreements, we're allowing developers to go up to the home fair market rent. So since they can charge a higher rent, we needed to update what's actually happening in practice. So that was the only change based on what we did in 2016. So. Basically, the, the fee will go from that 80000 to the 94652 just to be consistent with how we how we update the fee. Um, this fee would remain for two years, and then at, at the end of two years, we'd have to use the same methodology to update it. Any questions about how we did it? So this would mean that presumably because it's going up, we're seeing greater upward price pressure for the properties there? I mean, that is that what that reflects? We're seeing a healthier, you know, when your cap rate goes down, that means it is a, a more in demand. There's less risk involved, so it's more valuable. So I think that's what we're seeing in the market. So in our late handout for tonight's meeting, we received an email from um, a woman named Cheryl, and she raised uh, several objections, but one was that previously we weren't shown the formula, and so she said, show them the formula, and uh, you've done that, right? Uh, are there other parts of, I assume you've had a chance to read her email, but are there other parts of her critique that you, you've taken into account or that you could enlighten us about? 
some of the, the, the arguments that she was making it would require like to review developments each time we come up. So before a building permit, to look at the individual situation, the exact unit mix. But we're fine. We, we, we're, we're after predictability and using information that we already in the market because by the time they're getting the affordable housing agreement, they're waiting for their building permit. So we wanted to be predictable. We wanted to set it so that developers know in two years in advance what it is. Um, affordable, she also argued for LIHTC rents, 30% um, of someone's income. We chose to use the, the HUD's rents because they're updated annually. They do reflect market conditions in Iowa City. They come out every year, and it's a standard that we always use for affordable housing. So we just felt that was a, a good source, a reliable source every year. Um, is it ideal? Is it? Um, can we predict all types of developments if it's going to be all efficiency, all three bedrooms? No, but we found it that it's a known number and developers can make that decision and it doesn't delay them in their getting their building permit. If I, if I could add to that, I, I think, uh, and, and Tracy touched on this, a lot of the concern is that we're coming up with this one type of unit, right? So it's a 40 unit apartment building. We built this scenario, but in reality, there's you know, 15 unit apartment buildings, there's 20 unit apartment, there's buildings built on the north side of riverfront crossings close to campus, there's buildings built on the south end, there's market variability within the riverfront crossings district that this formula, this approach does not account for. And it's really a balance between that one number that's easy, that's predictable, versus customizing a number for each development or each sub-district, which I think becomes confusing, burdensome, uh, and I don't think it's a path that, that we want to go. We want to go down. Uh, so is this is this perfect? No. But if you look at the distribution of on-site versus fee in lieu of right now, you'll see that there's a good mix of people providing on-site and paying the fee in lieu of, which tells you that it's pretty close to where it should be. Because if it was way off in one direction or another, they'd either all be paying fee in lieu of or they'd all be providing on-site. So I, I think we're on the right track here. Tracy, I just wanted also whether you could comment. So far, 800000 has already been generated by the fee in lieu of. Um, have we been able to reinvest that into projects so far, or has that just gone into the affordable housing fund that we're looking for future projects? Any it's just in our affordable housing fund. It hasn't been committed. Okay. It does have to be used just in the Riverfront Crossings District. It can't be used citywide. Other questions for Tracy? Thank you. Discussion, council members? Well, I'm glad, I mean, I'm glad the formula showed that this number needs to go up because I've always kind of questioned whether, you know, 80,000 was really enough per yeah, unit yeah. if we got the fee in lieu of for us to put it back into something to generate. Now, I do realize that there is oftentimes the opportunity to leverage this money with state or federal money through grants or LIHTC, yeah. you know, tax credits, et cetera, which is really important that we still try to do that. But it just seems to me that, you know, this is getting a little bit closer to maybe what the real cost is. And I think Tracy and Jeff both make a good point. If our numbers were way off, we would see everybody doing one thing or the other, whichever was financially beneficial to them. So. Um, I think this makes sense, so I'm glad to see it. Yeah, that was one of the questions I have. And I mean, frankly, I've been somewhat concerned, I guess, over some of the big projects, because I was thinking that a lot of the big projects, 
for some reason, I don't know why, we were, we were getting more fee in lieu of than actual units on site. I think I was thinking about more in general of the area, not necessarily focused just on riverfront crossings. And after I talked to Jeff, I felt differently about it. And, you know, obviously Tracy showed us here today that it is a balance. So I appreciate that because, again, I, I want to see more affordable housing units. I know that it, it does have a expiration date to a certain extent, uh, or not to a certain extent, it's an expiration date for sure. But um, so I like the balance, but I just, you know, I request that, you know, we continue to look at that balance, you know, just to make sure we're not slipping, um, well, I'd be more in, for, uh, more in favor of more units, but slipping too far and people just saying, hey, we're just going to send the money your way, because then I worry that, you know, we're not getting that, um, that unit inclusion areas where um, we want to see more affordable housing. So. That's my major point. So I'm excited about what's been proposed, and thank you for making that um, change. Other discussion? <coughs> Hearing none, roll call, please. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Botchway? Yes. Colt? Yes. Motion carries six to zero. Could I have a motion to accept correspondence, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Botchway, seconded by Thomas. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Item 10, aid to agencies process recommendations. This is a resolution adopting the aid to agencies process. Could I have a motion to approve, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Botchway, seconded by Mims. Tracy again. Hello. Um, after our last funding round, um, council had discussed, and you know, we discussed it with um, Jeff, about the aid agency process and about the concern about providing stable funding to agencies that are going through the joint funding process for our public service dollars. Um, there was a concern that we were adding new agencies and that waters down the allocation to some of our organizations that have been historically funded through the aid agency process. So the Housing and Community Development Commission met to discuss if there's a way how they can provide stable funding, but yet HCDC had a preference to allow new organizations to apply for funding um, at different times. So what they re recommended was that they set aside 5% of the aid agency funds, whatever that is per year, um, and I think it was 5% approximately 15 to 19,000 per year, and the eight new agencies who have not been funded through the aid agency process apply up to $5,000. So basically reserving that $15,000, it would go through the normal CDBG and home allocation process where we accept allocations in January. It'd be a much smaller application process. We would fund that with local money instead of federal CDBG dollars. And then what they would create was like a legacy funding. So legacy agencies would remain funded. We would fund for two years. We would prorate based on if we got more or less money. But agencies would apply every two years. And so if you're allocated, let's just say 40,000, you'd get 40,000 both years, maybe prorated the second year based on changes in our, in our funding. Um, to be a legacy agency, you'd have been funded in the last five years. And at some point, you'd be allowed to, if you're an emergent agency, um, if you got funded and you've been in, you've been um, a, an entity over two years, they would allow um, what they call emergency agencies funding after a two-year cycle, um, but no guarantee of funding. So they were looking at that. They're also looking at if they could apportion funds. HDC has prioritized um, 
different needs, you know, based on um, homeless services, food bank, mental health services. They have a high, medium, and low priorities. So they were looking at that, and they, they wanted to make it sure they were concentrating on funding high priorities to the extent possible. So they made a guideline that 70% of the funds would go to high priorities, 25% to medium, and 5% to low priorities. However, it's a guideline, so if they want to fund more for medium or no low priorities, they could do that, but they would try to hit those goals every year. So those are the difference in processes from last year. It is different. It's basically a two-year funding cycle now. Um, it's reserving that fifteen dollars to $19,000 back for new agencies who want to apply. And those legacy agencies would have to wait two years before they could actually try to apply for, a, for stable funding. And then that stable funding would be every two years. Did, was there any discussion there um, in terms of that setting aside 5% for the emerging agencies to be able to use that for the legacy if you didn't have enough yes. good quality emerging applicants? If they didn't fund through the CDBG home process, um, if they didn't fund any agencies, those, that, those funds would go back to the legacy agencies. Another issue that has come up recently as I've been in discussion with some community members is do we require any of these agencies um, to be audited and do we review their audits? We do for the federally funded agencies. So it, we usually um, fund three to four of those agencies with federal funds. If they're federally funded, then yes, we see their audit. Um, if they're local funding, they have to submit year, year reports and quarterly reports, but we don't require that we receive their audits for local funding. We just look at their year-end and quarterly reports. I would like to suggest that staff looks at the possibility of requiring audits every couple of years um, of these agencies. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the cost would be. Um, I've talked with a few people who have served on boards of local agencies and who have in fact resigned from those boards because of concerns um, about the management of their money and whether or not they were actually meeting kind of their, their visions and goals and, and at least one of them which had a bad audit, if you will. Um, I, and I think in that discussion, as this individual indicated, you know, as, as being responsible for taxpayer dollars, I think we need to make sure that if we are giving money to these agencies, um, that they are in fact being um, prudent with their management of the money. And I think for some of these smaller agencies, I think they could get probably every other year audits that are not excessively expensive. So. I, if others on the council agree, I would be interested in having staff kind of look into that and see what that might entail. Yeah, I definitely agree. I would I would ask though, Susan, kind of speaking to your concern about the flexibility of what that audit may look like for some of the smaller agencies. You know, I mean, the allocation for funding would be every year or every two years for the emergency emergency emerging agency. Emergency emerging agency would be every year. The legacy they'd only apply for every two years. Yeah. And, and so to your point, Susan, I'd actually want it every year because for federal, we would have it every year, correct? Mm -hmm. So I would actually want it every year, not the two years, just in case something happens and then in between time. But some type of flexibility because I know, I mean, as Susan was talking about, those audits cost money. I would add on what is the, so I would agree with that part, what is the, um, 
what is the um, return? And so what do we get back from, you know, we get quarterly reports, we get um, year-end reports from all those agencies. I guess to me, I want some type of focus on equity and um, when we see these reports back. Because, you know, and I'm, if they are happening, then that's great. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm just not aware that they are. And so, because again, for me, I want to hear from our, and this is something I brought up in the strategic planning process a little bit as well. I want to hear from people that we're giving money to, how they are incorporating equity um, and um, ensuring that allocation of funding is happening um, with multiple communities across the board. And so, you know, obviously they, they may put together a great application, um, but I'd want to see, you know, are they fulfilling that application? How are they fulfilling that application? Some type of report back to us um, a little bit more in depth than I think what I've what I've seen prior um, from the like, quarterly and year-end report? The year-end reports, they do include beneficiary information and um, demographic information. Um, staff sees that, but we've not sent that on to HCDC or council. I mean, we call, we send those reports on. That'd be good. So I need some clarity about what you're suggesting, Susan. Are, are you suggesting that all agencies, whether they be legacy or emergency, they're emerging uh, agencies must have an audit? Is that what you're saying? I think there could be an is issue with the emerging ones because they could be so new that they just haven't been in place long enough to have the kind of funding stream, et cetera. I, but I think it's something that staff could easily talk to a couple of CPA firms in town who, you know, who do audits and ask them what is reasonable. And there are different types of audits, some that are more in-depth, that are much more expensive than others. Yeah, most of the agencies that have been historically funded are getting an audit. I mean, not all of them get an A133, which is an expensive federal audit, but many of them are are getting an audit. It'd just be the very, very small ones that I'd worry about with the emergence. Emerging yeah. ones, they probably... Yeah, that, yeah I can see the where they probably couldn't. But that's why my perspective is maybe if council agreed, asking staff to kind of look into that and come back to us with a recommendation of how that might be implemented. Yeah, there's varying degrees. It, it, it may not be an audit. And if there is a new agency and they have to weigh the cost of getting a full audit versus a $5,000 grant or up to five, they're probably not going to go for the grant because yeah, a full I, audit is going to I think that more. undermines the purpose. <laughs> but, but there are, I'm reminded of our agreement with the Iowa City Downtown District, and this issue came up with them as they were forming, and uh, certainly they're getting a large share of, of property tax dollars. We, done, we, we ended up in our agreement with them not requiring a full audit, but an agreed upon a set of financial procedures done by a CPA, mm -hmm. and they submit that to us every year. So it's, again, not an audit, but an agreed upon set of uh, checks uh, that give us the comfort level that the tax dollars are going towards the intended purpose, and we could come up with something similar for the emerging funds. I'm Yeah, I'm very open to that. Well, I think that's, that's good, because it, to hold them accountable for those funds is good. And uh, just one point, um, <laughs> Susan mentioned, I'm going to do the flip side of it, that maybe we wouldn't have any of uh, the, the new ones, the emerging ones, and then where would those funds go? But the flip side of that, what if we have a number of the emerging ones, and then within one to two years, they're all uh, being the um, the legacy ones, and then you've got a, a lot, and we're overwhelmed with the legacy ones being applicants. Yeah. What happens that is, with that? That is that? a concern, because right. I think HCDC 
um, anticipated funding three emerging agencies a year. Mm. So every three, every two years, basically three agencies come on board, and so after four years, you have six agencies that potentially could come right. on board. So that is a concern. It was a staff concern, and I. The Housing Community Development Commission did talk about it, and they basically said that they would take that consideration and they would fund. Um, they wanted the ability for emergent agencies to some at some point be able to apply. Now, I, I mean, as a staff, I could argue it's two years enough time. Is it every five years? Is it every 10 years? Um, but HCDC recommended that two-year window. There was one recommendation that they made that administratively that we just wouldn't be able to do. It was regarding staggering funding for legacy. If we go to a two-year funding cycle, that means basically agencies are funding every two years. We wouldn't stagger. We wouldn't say half of you can apply this year and half can apply that year. That, that's not realistic. So administratively, we wouldn't be able to do that recommendation. I mean, we could easily go to a two-year funding cycle where agencies are applying every, every other year and then getting that level of funding that second year prorated, that's easy to do, but we just couldn't stagger those applications. I, I worry about providing funding to emerging agencies for one or two years maximum, right? And then saying, okay, now they're your legacy agencies and you've got to compete with the other legacy agencies. Uh, when I'm thinking the purpose of the emergency agency part, which I like, is, is to help uh, often disadvantaged or marginalized communities find some way to get a little bit of money to do something they think is important for their communities. That's the way I think about it. And if if they get started and then suddenly have to compete with other legacy agencies, they may not be have uh, matured enough to be able to do that. So that that's my main concern about that. So I don't know. I don't know if shifting from two years to three years would help or not. I mean, I really don't know. I think this is a good start that we can certainly, you know, reevaluate every, you know, couple of years. I think HCDC may have recommendations back to us after they've looked at this, done it this way a couple of years. And unfortunately, the fact is always going to be we're never going to have enough money in, compared to what yeah. the applications yeah. are. And yeah. so it's, there's always going to be some really tough decisions. But I definitely like the, the <clears throat> idea that there's some admittedly small pot of money set aside for uh, this cluster of mm -hmm. emerging I agencies. I, I would agree, and I would support a staff recommendation on what uh, internal audit or an audit process or whatever they think makes the most sense, given that size of organization. Let me, I do want to re-clarify I mean, my point, because I feel like I was trying to say two things. Yes, I'm in very much favor of the audit, so that's, that's clear from that standpoint. But what I'm asking for now is an additional equity component, um, both on the front end and the back end, for these funds. And the reason why this is happening is because I was just recently at a conference and, um, you know, this person, I can't remember, Mark Snyder from IES, the Institute for Education Services, was talking about how research practice partnerships need to hold themselves more accountable for actually doing, using the money to do the work. That's just research, but research is actually changing what's happening in the schools or in the classroom or with particular students. And, you know, they've been funding research practice partnerships millions of dollars for years. 
so I say that to say they're now moving to more of an equity focus and saying, you know, what are you considering when you're thinking about, um, you know, the people that you're giving funding to and the people that they're ultimately, you know, servicing with that funding. I just want to add that type of level of scrutiny on the front end and the back end for, um, for our work. The joint funding application does ask for income and race and ethnicity. So is there, is there additional items that you want the application to include? Yeah. Talk about who they're serving. Yeah. Yeah, so ultimately that's that's a, that's appropriate from a demographic standpoint because it does provide that data. But I mean, I, I would want a little bit more information as far as how they're going to be actively using those funds to address okay. you know that so demographic population. Some narrative statement about how they want it addressed. Correct, to, and then the report yeah. coming back. I mean, cut Tracy. The report coming back speaking to um, that particular issue because what I, what I agree with the Susan, I think in general, or in, well, yeah, in general, is that. Whatever they're saying in their application, whatever they're saying they're using money for, we want to see on the back end, and we want to see that you're actually using dollars for that. What I'm saying is adding that narrative for the equity piece also adds another service that we're asking them to do as well that we also ultimately want to hold them accountable to. Which it sounds like maybe staff is already getting that, but we're just not seeing it. Right. So right. I don't know if we asked the question exactly that way, way, but yeah, we can. We can add a question. Okay. That'd be good. So are you imagining that this would apply to legacy agencies only or also to emerging agencies? Both. I think it's inappropriate for the emerging agencies. I mean, the idea is they, they don't really have, we don't want to burden them with requirements, it seems to me. The idea is to let them start something and see but where, it, see where that You're leads. saying it's inappropriate for emerging? Yes. I would disagree. From the standpoint, if... If somebody is coming to us and wanting to try something new and different, I think they should have a, a mission, a, a scope of services, a, a constituency, a demographic group that they are, are oriented towards. And so I think that should be clear within their application. And then, like any other group, I think they should be able to report back at the end of the year you know, what they have managed to do, you know, with that money, what kind of service they've provided, and uh, some basic demographic information um, as to who they've served. So, so I, I, I don't see yeah, that so as... Yeah, so I'd like to amend what I said. Yeah. I, I agree with what, okay. what you just said, Susan, but I think we don't want to do any, require anything that's burdensome. Right. right. That's it. To an extent. <laughs> well, if I you're mean, only getting, you know, $1,000 or whatever, no, I, then... I, I agree. It's got to be... It's got to be proportional, I guess, if you will, to what you're asking. I think, Jim, to your point, what I'm saying is more from the standpoint of, I mean, we have tons of agencies. And what I worry about in general and in practice is duplication of services. Mm -hmm. And so to that extent, I mean, while we're, while we're asking this question about equity, um, you know, it's if you have a clear demographic population that's not being served and you're being able to respond in your application with that information, I think that's totally appropriate. I see what you're saying. I think I think what you're saying is like, you know, we don't want to say that there's some level of specificity that you ultimately can't overcome. And I'm, I'm giving it, I'm saying equity in general and, and saying, you know, if you can fit that mold where you're focused on a particular demographic population that isn't necessarily being served, I feel, I feel, I feel differently about that. Okay, so I want to ask about the third part, which we haven't discussed any at all yet, that the 70% uh, of funds to high priorities, 25 to medium, and 5 to low. Uh, so just um, to make uh, put out a, a claim here, if we have priorities, shouldn't the money go to the priorities? 
I mean, if we have high, if we've already determined what a high priority is, and that we want our money <laughs> spent on high priority stuff, shouldn't the money go to high priority stuff? Well, before, so I would agree with that question, maybe not um, comment, but would that change our current funding allocation pretty drastically, or yes. what do we mean? Um, like child, not child care. Um, Health services, nutrition, all those things are immediate priority. So United Action for Youth, um, free medical clinic, all those that hit, fit a median priority wouldn't be funded if we only funded high priorities. Our high priorities are homeless services, child care, mental health, transportation, domestic violence, and food another banks. one. And what? Food banks. And food oh, Thank Come you. On, Jeff. She was almost there. I was going by memory. <laughs> You're good. Um, there's a lot of our nonprofits that have been historically funded that would not be funded. So yeah, that would, um, I think we fund about 60% high priorities. Would you say again? Um, if we look at the last five years, we, we did analysis when we, when we looked at it, and about 63% of what we fund are high priorities. Mm. But there's a lot of historical agencies we have funded that fit that median priority. Okay. What we found is when we set up those high priorities, then agencies were all, you know, every agencies have some part of their service that hit a high priority. So then everybody was funding for, so everything was a high priority. So setting priorities didn't really help us at all. So we went back and um, under this recommendation, staff would look at it. And if your central mission is healthcare, your central mission is elder services, we would say that's your priority level. Um, and then HCDC would review to see they concur, and that's how you would get funded. Um, I advocate for flexibility, because you know, you might not like a single low priority, but to reserve 5% for that. And so that's when HCDC said, okay, this is just a goal of ours, not written in stone. So you don't have to fund something that you don't want to fund. Um, so that's so they back down from a strict percentage to a goal of, of doing that to give them some flexibility. I, I think this is workable, and if if we've been doing 63 or 64 percent, typically for mm -hmm. the high priority, this at least steps that up a little bit. And I mean, I hear what you're saying, Jim. I mean, shouldn't we take all the money and put it towards the high? The problem is, there's yeah, lots of really important things, and when you start ranking, somebody's not high, but they're still important. Yeah, so I, I agree. Okay, so. I'm okay with that. Any further discussion? Are we clear enough? Yes. Good deal. So if if you're, if you're going to approve the HDDC recommendation, I just ask that you take out that staggered funding because administratively we just can't do that. Okay. It'd be very difficult. Great. Got a phrase that Charlie? I guess you want to address this. Thank you, Jim. I just wanted to go back to the audit situation. Uh, I've been the on the board of four or five different uh, service agencies in the last several years, the budgets from a million dollars down to a few thousand dollars. I'm currently the treasurer of an organization that has a budget of around $200,000 here. Uh, audits are fine. Almost all organizations that receive any kind of, 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 of uh, external funding, those external funders, funders require some kind of an auditing process. Audits, audits to me mean financial uh, review of the financial uh, uh, policy 
policies and the practices of the organization, uh, which are difficult to do for organizations that have relatively small budgets, so small amounts of money. So I think the city manager's suggestion, I think, is to, uh, to offer a, uh, recommended policies, maybe a better way of, or maybe a way of approaching the, the uh, or minimizing the risk that some agencies will not be good financial stewards. The other question, the other discussion I heard had to do mainly with uh, uh, monitoring or uh, reviewing outcomes, whether or not the agency is doing a good good job of reaching different demographics, whether we're doing a good job of matching mission and actual outcomes. Those to me are not audit, audit questions, they're uh, uh, mission and outcomes okay. questions. Okay. I would agree um, that those are two different issues. On the audit, I, I personally still would like staff to take a look at that and come back with a recommendation. I agree that for some agencies, a full-blown audit by a CPA is not reasonable and it's way too expensive, but that there are other, but I personally would want to see something more than just requiring them to have certain policies and procedures in place with nobody outside double-checking that those are being followed. So. Um, some kind of, some way of verifying that taxpayer money is being used um, appropriately, so. So as it's not burdensome. Right. Yeah. But yet still holding them accountable. Correct. I, I want a clarification, Tracy, uh, with regard to this staggered thing. Are you saying that we should approve the HCDC's recommendations, but deleting this one sentence that has randomly staggered in it? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. So we have a motion on the floor. So I would move to amend that motion um, that we take out the staggered funding recommendation. Second. So moved by Mem, seconded by who? Cole. Uh, Cole. Uh, um, we need a... All in favor. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Thank you, Tracy. All right, so we have a motion on the floor. Uh, any further discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Frogmorton? Yes. Hatchway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Motion carries six to zero. All right, item 11, Foster Road Ewing Development Agreement. This is a resolution approving an agreement for private development by and among the city, Foster Road Developers, LLC, Vintage Cooperative of Iowa City, and Ewing Land Development and Services, LLC, for Foster Road and the Vintage Cooperative Senior Living. Could I have a motion to approve, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Mem, seconded by Taylor. Discussion. Simon, you're going to walk us through this. Yes, uh, good evening. Simon Andrews, assistant to the city manager. Um, we have a developer's agreement uh, on your agenda for the next item. This is a project that you have seen a couple of times already uh, for a couple of legislative steps to approve it. Uh, this is uh, located on, uh, this would be the extension of Foster Road, so taking Foster Road from uh, Dubuque Street all the way out to Prairie du Chien. Uh, this uh, agreement is exciting for a couple of reasons. Um, this would be the first time we use this provision under the state uh, tax 
increment financing uh, laws. Uh, this would be a, a TIF agreement that would serve uh, residential uses. And under state law, if you are using uh, TIF to, to support residential only, um, then uh, a certain percentage of those uh, uh, captured uh, increment dollars need to be used for affordable housing uh, anywhere in the city. Uh, so uh, this agreement uh, would um, construct the road from uh, Dubuque Street all the way out to Prairie du Chien. Uh, the city would reimburse the developers 75% uh, of the cost of the road over 10 years uh, for the portion that is adjacent to their property. Uh, the city would then pay 100% of the road for the portion that is not adjacent to their property, uh, roughly one-third, two-thirds split. Um, the the uh, agreement uh, stipulates that they could be reimbursed up to $3.3 million uh, for that road construction. Uh, if the increment isn't sufficient to support that, if there isn't enough value created on the development, um, that is the developer's risk. The city is not at risk uh, for that. They just do not get reimbursed for uh, that portion of the road costs. Uh, the affordable housing dollars, it would be uh, about 45% of the increment. Those can be used anywhere in the city. We expect over 10 years that that would generate about $3 million for affordable housing. Uh, so that's why we find this uh, agreement exciting. This would be the first time that we had identified a, a, a recurring uh, revenue source for affordable housing in the community. Uh, the uh, agreement would require that they uh, construct a senior housing development. Uh, they uh, do have a, an agreement with uh, vintage cooperatives to, to construct that uh, along Foster Road. Um, and not part of the agreement, but also expected with the development as a number of townhomes and other residential uses. Um, and the increment from those could be used to uh, help support that road cost. Um. And uh, last item, uh, Foster Road was uh, in our uh, capital improvements plan for a number of years. This is an important road connection that we have uh, identified previously. We just uh, didn't have it in a, a funded year. We didn't have a funding source for it. So uh, this development would provide that. Uh, we'd be happy to answer any questions for you. Simon, the, the low to moderate income set aside can be used to fund initiatives that provide housing for households earning no more than 80% of area median income, right? Correct. Yeah. And we do have a, a number of programs where the, the maximum is 80%, but in practice, uh, the, the families fall far below that. And that is a requirement under state law. Um, we could certainly put our own requirements on those dollars. Right. That's what I was trying to get yep. to. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Hope that not everyone would be 80, 79% of area median income. Rate. Right, absolutely. Okay, uh, further questions for Simon? Just some comments. I'm like Simon, also excited about this, not only uh, to finally see the development of Foster Road and, and as Jim was talking about, the lower income aspect of it, but also the ability to. Um, enable the vintage co-op. I, I already know some folks that have heard about this, and they're already planning to move in there, making their plans to sell their homes and move in there. And, and I know the uh, the development on Camp Cardinal Boulevard was very successful. I Absolutely. believe it's almost 90% occupied now, and, and people are loving it that's, that have moved in there. So I'm looking forward to that, too. Sure. It's certainly a need in the market. Mm -hmm. Other discussion or questions for Simon? It's just nice to see infill development mm -hmm. and the extension of an important road. Mm -hmm. I remember talking with Bruce Glasgow about this property 25 years ago. Bruce, Jim Glasgow's father. Yeah, so he wanted to build, have his phone go through. All right. Can I mention two, two quick comments? One, uh, with this combined with your annexation policy, 
um, vote tonight checks two more boxes on the Affordable Housing Action Plan. This was one of the actions that we identified was to try to look for ways to utilize this, this part of the TIF statute, which we haven't done before. So we're happy to do that. We, we are looking at it in other parts of the community as well. So hopefully uh, we find some value there. Second is there is a tremendous amount of work behind this entire project. It, it takes a lot of work to get to, to this point, uh, particularly in Eleanor's office. Sarah Greenwood Hectone has spent an incredible amount of time working with the developer to to present this to you today. So a lot of credit to her, but Tracy, Danielle, her, their staffs have, have done a lot of work on the land use aspects of this, and then Wendy Ford and, and Simon uh, on, on more of the economic development side. I'm sure I'm missing some, but <coughs> dozens and dozens of hours of work to, to get to where we're at tonight. Yeah, thanks for saying that, Jeff. Um, Eleanor, would you convey our thanks to Sarah? I certainly will. Everyone else who's been involved. I left out public works, but Jason knows I, I have deep appreciation for that. qualities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really easy to sit up here and, and get these presentations, and, and we see it and hear it, and the public does, and, Piece of cake. and not have any understanding or a, I won't say no appreciation, but sometimes you don't have the appreciation when you don't realize the hundred, literally hundreds and thousands of hours that go into this by staff and the developers and, and all different parts of our staff. So I would echo Jim's comments. Thank you to everybody involved. I disagree, Susan. I think this took probably an hour and 30 minutes tops. <laughs> Good luck at your new job. Yeah. <laughs> all right, any further discussion? Thank you, Simon. Thank you. I think the only thing I would just like to quick, quick mention too is I think this is at a density that I think will really support the new infrastructure that we're building here, which, which I think is also important. All right. Roll call, please. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Frogmorton? Yes. Bachway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Yes. Motion carries six to zero. Item 12, council appointments. So we have one council appointment to make or not make tonight, having to do with the Historic Preservation Commission, the East College Street District. There's one vacancy to fill a three-year term. We have one application for Mr. Baker, who's been on the, uh, the commission for several years. I think she's currently was, was serving as vice chair until her term expired. And we need a female, and the 90-day requirement ended on the 3rd of July, so we can appoint Esther Baker if we want to or not. So do you folks have a preference? I think to be consistent with some of the stuff we've been doing recently that I would say no. Um, we've been trying to get new people involved, and when we've had somebody that has done that many terms, we typically have left it open for a little bit. and tried to re-advertise and get the word out that we're looking for somebody. So um, I would encourage that we consider doing that in this one as well. I, I, I agree with Susan. Don't uh, sound so shocked. Because, <laughs> because in all fairness, this is what we've discussed. We've discussed this many times with appointments, and, and we should be consistent. Although I, I, I'd certainly like to thank Esther Baker for all of her years of service, and because she is well acquainted with it, as she said. She's um, attended all the meetings, perfect attendance, which we don't see that very often on some of the commissions. Uh, but So what I would do is, is uh, thank her for her service, but encourage her to 
reach out to her neighbors, the people in that East College District, and find someone she feels could fill her shoes, so to speak, and maybe even mentor them and, and help them along with it. But I, I would suggest she do that and, and still be a part of it that way. Great idea. Yeah, I think I'd elaborate on this just on that just a little bit. It, it, this is probably a very hard seat to fill because there's a pretty small number of people who live in this district. If we were confident that all residents of the district had been informed of the position and no one else was interested in applying, right. then I'd say, well, let's go with Esther. Uh, so I'm wondering if we could reach out. I mean, we could ask Esther to do that as well. But I wonder if we could ask, me and city clerk, if the city clerk could reach out to other residents in that area, or maybe NDS staff, I'm not sure which, to make sure that they know about the position and to make sure they know they could apply, and especially if they're female, because that's what we're trying right, to do. Right, that's here. what we need. <laughs> so, can we find a way, I don't know, between the clerk's office and NDS staff to yes. do that? And, and then defer the appointment to our, at least our next meeting, maybe another two weeks after that or some point in the not-too-distant future. So uh, we need a motion, I guess, to defer uh, a decision on this for some would, indeterminate amount of time. Yeah, I would I say know. indefinitely. We can always come back to it. Sorry, could I have that, a motion to defer indefinitely? So moved. Second. Moved by Mem, seconded by Botchway. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. All right, item 13, announcement of vacancies. Uh, we have several previously, uh, two previously announced vacancies. One vacancy to fill an unexpired term upon appointment to the Community Police Review Board, and one vacancy to, to fill an unexpired term upon appointment to the Library Board of Trustees. Applications for those positions must be received by 5 p.m. Tuesday, August the 14th. We also have one vacancy to fill a four-year term on the airport commission, one vacancy, two vacancies to fill five-year terms on the airport zoning board of adjustment, one vacancy to fill a three-year term on the historic preservation commission, Jefferson Street District, and two vacancies to fill three-year terms on the telecommunications commission. Those vacancies will remain open until filled. So item 14, community comment. Gustav, would you like to say a word? I'll say a word or two. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so um, I just wanted to let you all know about a uh, kind of a, it's called the Lease Gap Housing Program that I've worked on, and it's in partnership with um, UI Housing and Dining and Student Life. And basically what it is, is it's filling the gap of that lease gap that many students and many, well, this is particularly towards students, that your lease gap or your lease will end and and you have a few days or a week where you don't have somewhere to stay. So in partnership with UI Housing and Dining, they're going to be offering um, reduced uh, rates for housing during that time period, at least uh, July 20th to August 4th, if for any University of Iowa student. Um, yeah, and just the idea is to fill that gap where you might not know where to stay. Thank you. That is fantastic. Yeah. I That's saw great. that the other day, Gustav. What are, what are, are they doing anything in terms of storing um, 
like people's belongings or what are people having to do there? Yeah, so um, we looked at that, but we were not able to figure out a set location to be able to that besides advertising out current storage um, okay. places. Um, yeah. Well, it's we have a bed to sleep in, so. Yeah, <laughs> always a good thing. Yeah. Where were you 10 years ago? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Gustav. Item 15, City Council information. I wonder if we could start with John and move to the right. Um, what did, I forget now. Can we talk about previous events or are we talking about upcoming? I see upcoming. Uh, I think previous, upcoming, yeah. you know, stuff. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I, I would just, a couple of things. One, we had the um, meeting yesterday, the joint meeting uh, with North Liberty, Coralville, and the school district in the county, and I was um, very pleased to hear the discussion on, from the school district on the, um, the idea of trying to address the disproportionality in terms of, um, uh, you know, those who are on free and reduced lunch. And, uh, you know, the notion of pairing as a concept I thought was really interesting to hear about, and um, it sounds they're very very, you know, the board is very interested in exploring it. So we'll see where that goes. But I, I thought it really had some many, many potential benefits to it. So I found that interesting. John, why don't you just clarify a little bit what pairing means? So pairing would be uh, where, and, and one of the reasons I, I found it so interesting was pairing by geographic proximity. So for example, uh, pairing Twain and Longfellow as in terms of two schools, two elementary schools. And so the, the students who would be going to those schools uh, would all go to, you know, K through, say, second grade would all go to one school, and uh, third through sixth would go to the other. Um, and so there would be a relationship between these two neighborhoods. I think that's an interesting aspect to it. There would be efficiencies in terms of the um, the staffing, uh, the um, there would be a broader range of kids in, within those age groups. I think that's kind of an interesting thing too. And then there would be a separation by age group, which I think could also have a benefit. You know, the older kids are quite a bit older than the young kids, so separating them out, I think, makes some sense in that in, in that way as well. So. Uh, it sounded very exciting to me. I think it, it really can address a whole range of issues that would uh, be a benefit to the community. And then uh, the climate change action um, community meeting I went to, and it was very well attended. Always good to see a lot of enthusiasm on things such as the climate action plan. So it was a good start. Good start. Susan? Yeah, I would agree with what you said, John, about that meeting. And the other thing I would say about the school board members that were there, I think they conveyed very clearly their their hope and their intent to really get a lot of information out to the public and, and to parents and to teachers and really get buy-in to any changes that they're going to make so that these can be successful and to start maybe with just one pairing to figure out how to get it right in case they stumble on anything. So they're, they're very much in tune to process um, to try and really make this successful. And so I, I think they, 
they just they had some good ideas and, and good concepts there. A uh, couple things coming up. Um, Rummage in the Ramp is coming up here at the end of the month. People can find out details certainly on the on the city website. Um, good way to keep stuff out of the landfill, uh, repurpose it for other people. Um, good way to pick up some cheap inexpensive furniture, sometimes good stuff, sometimes I'm not sure why it's there, but mm -hmm. no, it, it does. I mean, when you look at the stats, though, over the years, the, I think, really thousands of tons of stuff that have been kept out of the landfill by what's been brought in there and sold is just amazing. So we'd encourage people to take a look at that. And then we will not have another meeting before Ragbri rolls into town. So keep that in mind. Um, Friday the 27th, um, was at a, well, I guess it was at the joint meeting when Jeff was talking about it yesterday. Um, if you're not involved with RAGBRAI on Friday the 27th, you may just want to stay off the Iowa City streets in your car. Um, don't try and get from the east side to the west side or vice versa because it might be a little bit complicated. You might get a little bit frustrated. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. Um, and if you notice that the Dubuque Street Park Road Bridge uh, intersection is open, you cannot get across it that day unless you have a sticker and you are a support vehicle for RAGBRAI. So don't think of that as being open um, until later in, in August. August, um, unless you're a support vehicle for RAGBRAI. So just, I, I would encourage people to to look at the city website if they haven't ever signed up for any of the um, notices that the city sends out. I would encourage people to go to icgov.org and find the subscription spot because let me tell you, I find it really helpful when those things pop up in my emails and I see things going on that I didn't even know the city was doing even though I'm sitting here every couple of weeks. And so for the general public, um, and, and you don't have to sign up for everything, you can do it by topic. I would really encourage people to do that. But yeah, next Friday is going to be great. It's going to be busy downtown. We've got, what, a, a nine or ten block area that's going to be 12-block area shut off to vehicles, and it's going to be a big block party like we had at the end of June, and we're going to have um, thousands upon thousands of visitors from outside of Iowa City, across the state, across the United States, and literally from around the world. Um, the the geographic diversity of people who do RAGBRAI is incredible. And so um, I'm sh I know Jeff said we still have some slots for volunteers. So if people want to get involved, um, again, please check with the city on that. We can still use more people. Uh, but come enjoy and see Iowa City at its best on Friday the 27th. So Susan, one of the visitors from outside the state is a councilwoman from Homer, Alaska. Oh, yeah, she contacted me by email. Her name's Donna Robertson Adderhold. And she biked from there? <laughs> I don't know. I'll find out. Too much. I'm just saying. But, you know, she, she wanted to be able to hang out a little bit, you know, at cool. the end of the night or end well, of the day or whatever. Well, send her my contact information, yeah. and yeah. I will be riding, and maybe I can hook up with her on the ride. Well, when you're riding along, you go, Donna! Mm. Yeah, amongst the mm. 20,000 other people, that might be a challenge to find mm. her. <laughs> okay, Homer. <laughs> Donna from Homer. <laughs> Donna from Homer. There you go. All right, Pauline.
Uh, not much about what has happened. Uh, just to elaborate on Susan's comment about the rummage of the ramp, I was excited to see they're doing something different this year about uh, a contest for posting a photo of your favorite rummage oh, in the ramp okay. find. So I think that's kind of fun, and people again, bucks. yeah, people can go uh, go to the website again to see the details on that because I thought that was kind of a fun spin on that. So might even have to go rummage myself and see what's there. Um, things upcoming, uh, a little bit controversial here, but I, I got the email about uh, tomorrow and Thursday, uh, July 18th at 3 and July 19th at 10 a.m. here at City Hall, uh, open house to discuss uh, possible massage therapy ordinance in Iowa City, because we've been getting a lot of emails and, and calls about that. Uh, it's just to explore options for regulations, uh, regulating the businesses, and, and feedback from any uh, licensed massage therapists would be, would be welcome and, and the general public. So that's a good thing. Uh, and then Sunday, July 29th, I'm excited about this, too, because I've been watching this uh, development grow. Um, the Friends of the Iowa City Co-Housing, the open house at Prairie Hill, is Sunday, July 29th at 1 o'clock. So that's going to be exciting to see that. It looks beautiful. It's just really nice the way it sets into the hill. 1 o'clock, Pauline? What's that? 1 o'clock? 1 o'clock, okay. right. And that's Prairie Hill Lane. A um, couple things. This is a little bit further out, but Soul Festival is from August 17th, 18th. It's the last uh, Summer of the Arts Festival. Come out, um, show your love. It's some interesting things that are happening. Uh, I want to give uh, a brief kudos. Um, I just tweeted out, I guess while everybody else is in the council meeting work session, but while I was still driving, not on the road, but parked. Um, Going slowly. Yeah. Um, kudos, kudos in general just to all the hiring. Um, I almost forget about you, Ashley. Just of hiring women in department head positions. So Ashley, Tracy, Darren, and now Latasha. Um, just really excited. And, you know, Jeff, kudos to you. I know that you have a team of people. Eleanor's um, on interviews as well. Just exciting because, you know, I think that we talk about diversity. I think, well, many people in many cities talk about diversity, but I don't think really focus on, uh, on it the way that you have. And so just highly appreciated because I think it, it's going to matter for not only just role modeling um, in general for people in the city, students, kids, whatever the case may be, but just in practices and making sure that people are thinking about equity um, from a gender perspective as well. So great work. As many of you know, um, I've also accepted a position at uh, Waterloo Community Schools as a chief uh, of human resources and equity. So I'm going to make a brief statement um, and then I'll, I'll be done with that. So good evening, Iowa City community and family. Uh, I'll be submitting my letter of resignation effective after the adjournment of this meeting tonight. Uh, I've been blessed and honored to be a city councilor in Iowa City for the last five years. Uh, from the young age of 27, uh, you embraced a southerner with a vision for our city and our community. Uh, I realized quickly that this vision was not my own, uh, but a vision that materialized from countless hours in the community listening to your hopes and aspirations for the city. We've accomplished so much of this vision in such a short time. A few of these accomplishments are listed below. Passage of the first inclusionary zoning ordinance in the history of Iowa, passage of the waste theft ordinance, incorporation of a goal of advancing social justice and racial equity in our strategic plan, thank you, Jim, and the work done with this goal over the last two years, introduction and implementation of a racial and socioeconomic equity review toolkit, creation of affordable housing fund with over a million dollars in allocation of those funds, Creation of task force to reduce the number of food insecure families in Johnson County. Creation of a fund to support racial equity issues in Iowa City and allocation of those funds. 
and countless other initiatives that will guide Iowa City to become more inclusive, more just, and more sustainable. This would not have happened without you, the community, and your support to ask the right questions and push for a vision that this city deserves. I want to thank staff for all your hard work, and this thank you is not going to be enough. Um, but the dedication that I've seen firsthand in my tenure as council, on council, excuse me, thank you always providing me with the appropriate information and guidance to make informed decisions on whatever action we are taking as a city. I want to thank council for all your work and deliberation. I'm, I'm not going to be able to go into a long diatribe because um, it's getting a little late for me uh, as far as, you know, all the work that just happened not only with this council but prior councils as well. I also want to thank just the people that have just been so appreciative and wished me well in my, my role for the Waterloo Community School District and just been appreciative of my service for the city. It truly means the most. Thank you. That's it. Best of luck to you, Kingsway. Yes. It's been fun working with you over the last five years. Appreciate it. Yeah. Say hi to Mayor Hart. Will do. For us. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure you'll do extremely well up there. Thanks. Wow. Um, yeah, you got to follow that. <laughs> I got to follow that. Um, I was going to talk about party in the park. No, but um, since it, this this is the last meeting, then right. So there's that's as in the end in like 15 minutes. Yep. I just want to say, um, you know, good luck on your future opportunity. I mean, I think that Waterloo, our loss is Waterloo's gain. Um, Waterloo is a wonderful community. Um, they have challenges just as we do, and I can't think of a more um, perfect fit uh, for that community to navigate and. Uh, address all the uh, challenges as well as the opportunities. Uh, Quentin Hart seems like he hasn't gone in the right direction. Um, so maybe you can City Council 2019 in Waterloo, who knows? Um, but I, and I remember first seeing Kingsley speaking there when you were speaking on behalf of the Diversity Committee and all the wonderful work you did there that we're really now bearing the fruits of, you know, here we are four to five years later. So it's really fun to see that into fruition. Um, you know, Kingsley really believes in community. And um, one of the things I think is great about the summer is the party in the parks. I think it's easy to forget about how wonderful those are unless they're right near your area. Um, and so we do have some parties in the parks that are coming up uh, soon here at the um, Ned Ashton House, uh, July 19th. It's 820 Park Road uh, is the party in the park. And we also have another one at our recently uh, dedicated Calder Park, uh, July 26, 2018. And uh, evidently, there's a puppet theater performance there at 5:30. So I encourage people to get out and enjoy that, and enjoy the the rest of our summer. Susan and I were talking about it. Seems like summer always goes by too quickly. So Iowa City, seize it, enjoy it, and soak it up. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that Midwest Bank is having something called Rock the Chalk. Um, it's going to be Friday, August 10th, 2018. Um, it begins at 10 o'clock, and it seems like it's going to be quite the event, uh, running from 10 o'clock all the way through um, throughout the day. So I think. That's going to be a terrific opportunity for a lot of kids that are interested in art. Um, you can see an application online for Midwest One. I know my daughter's an artist. She'll probably be involved, so I encourage people to get involved with that. Um, and the last event that I would like to highlight is uh, there's a Lazy Days of Summer 0.5K race, um, Saturday, August 4th, um, from 3 to 5 p.m. It's an opportunity for food and drink. Um, it will be a wonderful opportunity um, uh, for that particular event. Uh, finally, I will be joining Susan on Ragbri. I'm going to do three days of Ragbri, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, wonderful opportunity for community and soak up Iowa, but at the same time, meet people from throughout the United States. So 
Iowa City, pray for me that I'll survive. Um, uh, I've done a couple training sessions of about 20 to 30 miles. I'm going to do about 80. So I'm hoping I'll come back a little, little bit more tan, a little slimmer, and uh, with a lot of great fun for the state of Iowa. Wow. So I was planning to, to announce my resignation tonight, but uh, I think uh, you've stolen my thunder. Yeah, so all right. Hold on to that. <laughs> I only want to mention two things. Jeff and I, speaking of Mayor Hart in Waterloo, Mayor Hart is the incoming chair of the Metro Coalition. And I report that because Jeff and I attended a meeting of the Metro Coalition earlier today uh, up in Des Moines. And it was a pretty stimulating meeting where we revisited uh, the 2018 legislative session, looked ahead to the 2019 session, talked a little bit about electoral possibilities, uh, according to the judgment of David Edelman, who is uh, the lobbyist who uh, the coalition works with, and so on. Uh, it was a pretty good, productive meeting. Jeff, do you want to you know, elaborate on that in any way? You don't need to, but yeah. Okay, so there's that. I also want to ask you a question. I don't, I don't know any other better uh, time to do it, so I'm going to do it now. Uh, as we all know, uh, the, the university has proposed closure of various entities within the university, including the Labor Center. And as you probably all know, the Board of Supervisors has written a letter to the president with regard to that, to the closure of the Labor Center. So my question to you, basically, is do you want me to write a similar letter to the president on the behalf of the council, or do you think it's better to just kind of let it let it lie and play out as it's going to play out, however that might be. My this, now, this is I'm not violating any protocol here by bringing up this topic, am I? Go ahead. Yeah. All right. <laughs> My sense would be that this is a university issue. They know their they know their budgets, the details of their budgets. They know how they have to try and balance their budgets. Um, I'm concerned, very much concerned, about all the various uh, ancillary entities that they are planning to close. Um, Center on Aging is another. But yes. when, you don't, when you don't have a solution for them, then I think it puts us in a pretty awkward position to simply say, don't close it if we don't have some options of where they should be getting the money to keep it open. So I, I don't see what benefit. I think if people want to write as individuals and encourage them to find ways to do things, then I think that's just fine. I think this starts crossing the line of telling other entities how to do their business when we don't have a solution for them. It's, well, it's I would disagree. I mean, they do have budget pressure, but I think ultimately this comes down to a political choice. Um, I know that the president is limited in terms of that he can't just wave a magic wand and obtain funds from the legislature. So he does have those structural challenges. But I do think it, it is politics. I mean, the legislature has chosen not to fund higher education. Um, one thing that really struck me is if you're looking at that 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 issue, is that our budget has gone from about four billion to seven billion yet the funding has gone down. That, that was actually really stark to, to see that. So it's not a question of whether they have the funds. It's a choice. So to the latter, I would agree with you, and I'm going to adopt one of Kingsley's uh, saying the likes. I'm going to agree but disagree. Um, 
I want to comment on other entities judiciously, and I don't want to make a pattern of it. But when I think that there are significant changes and significant choices that they make, I think in terms of the political part of it, that we should affirm the values that we have as the city of Iowa City and that we should do that. And I think, um, Jim, you're a very diplomatic person. Um, I don't think you're going to do it in a way that's going to ruffle too many feathers. But I do think it's important that we are reaffirm the political choice that is here, and the choice is to close it, and I think we can say that there's an alternative choice to that. So I don't necessarily know if I'll, I'll so I agree and disagree. <laughs> um, you know, I think ultimately, yes, we should send a letter. I, 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 do, I, I do worry about when we do this in a sense, because I remember not too long ago, I mean, with the university, and this is a little bit different of a situation based on the number of positions, but the, with the university send a letter when we ultimately had to uh, remove two positions, I think, in the um, neighborhood development services. I mean, I, I think that there's an awkwardness, I feel, about entities sending each other letters in relation to employee relations. I do see it a little bit differently, I think, to Rocking's point because of the political nature of it. And I think that the letter appropriately focusing on that, um, not as much, I mean, I think the university, there needs to be, I'm not saying they haven't considered, but there needs to be some type of incorporation discussion that could be possibly in the letter as far as, you know, here, I mean, ultimately, please, I mean, even though this decision may have already occurred, please, you know, listen to the the voices of not only your employees, but also the community that's now hearing about this and be able to manage that judiciously in whatever process that you have. But I do think it needs to be focused on the legislature because this has been coming for, you know, a, a year, two years now with this underfunding. And I think it needs to be clear that we need to focus on that and, and talk to people from that lens. <clears throat> you made a comment, something about maybe letting it play out. And I am hoping that it's going to play out. I did attend the press conference that they held uh, a week or so ago, uh, which was largely attended. And a lot of the board of supervisors were there. And there was some press there. It received a lot of attention. And there is a lot of public pressure and public comment on this. And I think I, I had not seen the letter that the board of supervisors had uh, written. Uh, but I think we can do it. You're, you're good at that, Jim, as far as wording things in a politically correct way, not not like scolding the university or telling them how to do their business as such, but just expressing our concern over um, the loss of this, uh, what we believe to be a valuable part of the community and, and the state. It, it, the Labor Center is one of just a very few like it in, in the whole country, and people seem to think it, it has all to do with unions, but it's not all unions. It's, it's workers and worker safety, and I think we can express those kinds of concerns that they've done a service for the community and the state and the nation for that. And I think we can do that without scolding them and telling them how to do their business. I guess I... Okay. This is why I shouldn't have let oh. this go. Oh, oh okay. okay. Um, we, I mean, we're, we're having a conversation oh, okay. about a topic, and now we're going to make a decision about a topic, and we haven't given any notice about it. Right. So I don't think that's a very good idea. So, um, you know, I think you need to do your your thing where you put it on the next work session or you just, Jim, you take the input and you decide whether you're going to write a letter or not. I like the letter. Yeah, I think I'll do that. And without trying to say much more, I want to mention that I'm aware that um, roughly 10 years ago, the university proposed to shut down the Center for Human Rights. 
And what entities do when that happens is look for support. And, they, and they, they look for people who can say how important the entity is. And that resulted in the Center for Human Rights being retained. And so, you know, it's just part of the process within the university. And then the, you know, the president makes decisions, and that's that. Yeah, so, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll follow up on what I think I understand the sentiment to be. Okay. I see now, where are we? We're at the end. Is there some, uh, yeah, any further comments by city council members? No. Jeff? I would just, oh, may sorry. I just talk sure, of course. I would just like to offer Kingsley congratulations. Stop. It's yeah. been fun getting to know you and work with you over the last five years. Sure five and a half, whatever we've been on council together. About five years. So uh, best of luck to you. Um, you've got challenges ahead of you and opportunities ahead of you. And uh, grab them and enjoy them, and best of luck. Thank you. So. Best of luck, and be careful on the roads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no speeding between here and Waterloo. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Just real quickly, Kingsley, on behalf of staff, thank you for your years of service. You've always been very supportive of staff, and I know not only us that attend the meetings appreciate that, but, but all the employees appreciate that as well. I, I really admire the, the passion and enthusiasm that you've always brought to the table, um, and we're going we're gonna to miss that. I'm going to miss sitting at the table next to you. I've never mm. had a council member that can agree yet disagree with so many issues, <laughs> so many single issues, so eloquently like you can. I don't it's know if we'll ever... riding the fence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Uh, but, but in all seriousness, uh, we're going to miss you. We wish you the best. And and, uh, you know, maybe down the road you'll find your way back down here sometime. <laughs> Is that it, Jeff? That's it. Ashley? I'll just say it's been a pleasure working with you, and best of luck. Eleanor? Um, I'll just echo what, what Jeff has said about your supportive staff and, and your respect um, in your interactions with staff, um, not assuming that... Um, you know the facts and you know what the situation should be before you talk to staff, but getting that input first. I think I've, I've really always appreciated that quite a bit. And um, it's been really fun watching you over the last few years. And now I'm going to sound like I'm old, but I am <laughs> <laughs> watching you mature in, I think, a very positive way. And I'd just like to say thank you also, Kingsley. It's been a pleasure working with you over the years. Thank you for the treats. Snagging <laughs> <laughs> those. Okay, but you're not done yet. Yeah, let's I need a motion to adjourn to the work session, please. So moved. Second. Moved by Botchway, seconded by Mims. All in favor say aye. 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 Motion carries. We are adjourned from the formal meeting.